it's not really like the Father's Day sermon, but we are going to be talking a lot about fathers. And the Father's Day treat today is uh, that the kids upstairs actually are going to be looking at the first half of John chapter 5. They're, they're, they're looking at the story of the healing that happened at the pool of Bethesda. And then we're going to be kind of looking at the second half, or maybe at least the second third of that chapter of John chapter 5. Uh, and this was kind of designed in, in order to try to get kids and parents kind of talking about some things. So like you, they get half of the story, you get half of the story. Maybe you guys can have a conversation about that when you get home today, uh, just for fun. Uh, but the, we're, we're going to be really focused on this idea of where does authority come from, because I think this is something that's important. I'm not going to say everything that needs to be said on the subject of authority. For instance, I'm not really totally talking about how do Christians interact with the authority uh, of, the, of the world so much today. Uh, I really want to talk more about uh, how does authority work in the kingdom? Because I think if we know how it's supposed to work in our relationship with God, then we can see how it does work that way or doesn't work that way out in the world, and we can come to logical conclusions on our own. Does that make sense? And so uh, that's what we're looking at today. We're going to look at John chapter 5, verses 16 through 30. And uh, we're going to talk about just how trust is actually a really big, important part of authority or faith, faith or trust. Uh, obedience is kind of key to the notions of how authority works. And then service and the role of service and what authority is actually for in Jesus' kingdom. Uh, and we're going to do that looking at verse 16 through 30 in chapter 5. Would you pray with me? Uh, and just uh, ask God to speak to us through his word as we look at it. So, Father, I just thank you for your leadership in my life. God, I thank you that you are good and trustworthy and that you are able to save and to heal and restore us and that you use your authority to serve and help. And so, God, I ask that you would bring that this morning. Lord, I ask that we would be able to trust you I ask that your influence would reign in our lives and that we would walk in obedience to you and that through that we could serve you and everyone else. And just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take a look at verse 16 here um, in John chapter 5. It says this, that Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath day. That is, he was healing people and he was telling them to pick up their mats and walk. Spoiler alert, Okay. So the Jews began to oppose him. Jesus said to them, My father is always doing his work. He is working right up to this very day, and I am working too. For this reason, the Jews tried even harder to kill him. Jesus was not only breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father. He was making himself equal with God. Jesus answered, What I'm about to tell you is true. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. What the father does, the son also does. This is because the father loves the son. He shows him everything he does. Yes, you will be amazed. The father will show him even greater things than these. The father raises the dead and gives them life. In the same way, the son gives life to anyone he wants to. Also, the father does not judge anyone. He has given the son the task of judging then all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Those who do not honor the Son do not honor the Father who sent him. And what I'm about to tell you is true. Anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me 
has eternal life. He will not be found guilty. He has crossed over from death to life. What I'm about to tell you is true. A time is coming for me to give life. In fact, it has already begun. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has also allowed the Son to have life in himself. And the Father has given him the authority to judge. This is because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. A time is coming when all who are in the grave will hear his voice. They will come out of their graves, and those who have done good will rise and live again. And those who have done evil will rise and be found guilty. I can do nothing by myself. I judge only as I hear, and my judging is fair. I do not try to please myself. I try only to please the one who sent me. And you might be familiar with a different version of that, or maybe if you were looking at that on your Bible, you might be saying, what translation is he looking at? This is the New International Reader's version. It's a, uh, it's a version of the NIV that is adjusted to be a lower reading level, and so it's especially good for kids. Uh, sometimes I actually like this translation in the way that it really makes things very clear and simple. For example, you might have uh, recognized that phrase, uh, instead of saying, like, truly, truly, or, you know, uh, truly I say to you is often how the phrase gets translated. In this translation, it gets translated as, what I'm about to say to you is true, right? Like, this is true. It's just very clear. Like, Jesus is telling us true things, and he's, he's, he's really trying to emphasize that he tells us what the truth is, and that when we are seeking for truth, and we're seeking who to trust, who to look to, uh, I believe that Jesus is telling us that so that we will be able to trust him, so that we'll be able to give him that authority to be trustworthy in our lives. Because I think the first thing that God wants to say to us this morning is that really faith is the basis for all real authority. And now you might be reacting to this because I think many of us have uh, have, a, have a notion of authority that's somewhat negative, right? I mean, I don't know. The, the vineyard kind of started in the 70s with the, with the hippies coming out of the Jesus People revival, and, you know, there's definitely kind of like an anti-authority vibe to that whole crew, and Jesus himself often had uh, clashes with authority. That's actually what's going on in this passage. He's reacting to the criticism of the religious authority and the legal authority in his day, saying, you're a lawbreaker, and what you're doing is illegal, uh, because he healed someone and told them to pick up his mat and walk. And I, I kind of grew up in a uh, skateboarding, uh, you know, kind of like punk rock uh, kind of identity. And, and so being a little bit suspicious of authority uh, is, is kind of really woven into the core of my soul. And I think there, there's, a, there's a story in America, our national story is one in which our country rebelled against unjust authority and we found liberty through rebellion to authority rather than bowing to it. And so if you have some natural suspicion of authority, I would say that's not entirely wrong, right? We know that, we know that not every authority is good and not all authority is used well in our world. And so if you have that feeling of like, oh, I don't know if I trust this, I would say there's something 
natural and maybe even not totally incorrect in that feeling when I use the word authority. But in the kingdom of God and the way that God has designed the world to work, authority is supposed to be based on trust. And so often in our world, authority is not based on trust as much as it is based on force that the threat of force or the threat of violence is often the thing that is used to justify authority in various governments and power structures in our world. But I'm here to preach some good news to you this morning. I'm here to tell you that force is actually a weaker form of authority than trust. And the kingdom of God works not on force but on trust. The kingdom of God advances primarily not through the threat of violence, but by healing and by the truth and by the will of God expressed through people who are willing to obey Jesus at great personal cost, at great risk to their own safety. And the good news about this is that trust, all that, all that, all that trust needs to function is consent. All that trust needs to function is will. And so even a small group of people can have a tremendous influence and impact on the world if they are trustworthy, if they are the kind of people who are honest, who have integrity, and who speak the truth to one another in a in an attitude of humility and love. And so when we talk about authority in the kingdom of God, we need to understand that it works differently than the world. And what we see when we understand authority in the kingdom of God is that it actually shines light on the dysfunction of all the authority structures and power structures in our world. And we see that in the way that Jesus speaks here. He says, I don't aim to please myself or anyone else. I aim only to please the one who sent me. Jesus is completely submitted to the authority of God. He completely trusts God to say what he should say and to do what he should do. That Jesus, in trusting God completely and having absolute faith in his Father and in his goodness, and in his provision, Jesus walks a path that, well, no other human being has ever walked, but many are called into, and few have answered that call. I think it becomes a little, perhaps, easier to understand. I was reading an article that really has had me ruminating on this and thinking about it by a, another vineyard pastor, a guy named Dan Heck, who's actually a youth pastor uh, at the Central Vineyard Church in Central Ohio, uh, and he says this, he has some things to say about authority that I think will help us think clearly about this. He says that we all depend heavily on trust to understand reality. We enter the world as fragile and flexible things, beautiful, blinking, ready to learn. But from the start, we're dependent on those around us for our words and our worldviews, our habits and our ways of life. We rely on those around us for a toolkit that empowers us to deeply understand and interact with the world. While it starts in childhood, learning through trust is far from being a primitive or childish process. 
It also lies at the heart of science, technology, and humanity's greatest practical and impractical achievement. At least in the United States, a lot of our science stories tend to focus on the heroic individualism and rationality of scientists who have held fast to some powerful insight in the state or in the face of a hostile status quo. These stories are compelling, inspiring, and important, but they also make it easy to miss the far more fundamental role that is played by communities of trust, even in cases of bold invention and discovery. It is if the most brilliant person on earth today were forbidden to learn through trust and was constrained to the knowledge that they could personally demonstrate and establish, they would remain remarkably ignorant on a huge number of important topics. We all need to stand on each other's shoulders to see even a fraction of what we currently see. In fact, the cutting edge of knowledge and know-how are especially, especially dependent on trust, not especially independent of it. And so really, if you start to think about what we know, what counts as truth, what counts as science, you have to recognize that so much of the way that we interact with the world and are able to function and all the things that we know, we know by an act of faith. We know by an act of trust. Someone, someone that we trust tells us something is true and we believe that person and so then we know something true. And so a lot of the controversy in our world today revolves around who do you trust? What news sources or uh, voices do you trust? What narratives do you trust to kind of frame your view of the world and how you interpret it? And there are a million voices all screaming at us, trying to tell us that they are trustworthy and true. But there is really only one true and trustworthy voice. Of course, many people will try to vie and tell you that they have exclusive access to that one truth, which is why community is so important. But all I'm saying is that if you ever want to know anything, you have to trust. You have to trust people. If we want to know how to best proceed with like masks and things, we have to listen to people who do science, uh, who are listening to other people who have done science who know some things and we can trust those things. If we want to know how to, uh, how to put something together, you have to trust the owner's manual. And so many of us, when we're buying something from Ikea, we struggle to really believe that every detail that we have is included, that we need is included in those pictures. We miss little details because we start to think, oh, I've got this, and we get going, and then we're three or four steps in and we see, oh, no, shoot, I missed something back there. And now I have to undo all of my work because I didn't trust the guide. Or maybe I had trouble interpreting it and I didn't see something that I needed to see there uh, because I didn't look carefully enough. I wasn't careful enough in my attitude of trust. And so it's just important for us to understand that really for authority to work, there has to be trust, there has to be faith. And so if we're going to have God's authority at work in our lives, we need to trust him. That's the basis for him working through us and in us and in our community and to those who are around us. Uh, you know, case in point, one of the things that Dan Heck says in that article, an example he brings up is, you know, 
uh, just kind of challenging our rugged American individualism. You know, there's a worldview and there's a way of thinking that says, I'm only going to believe what I discover for myself is actually true. But he kind of puts the lie to that by saying, okay, go and build a toaster from scratch. Build a toaster from scratch. A toaster seems like a simple enough thing, right? You know, you can buy one used for $5 at a thrift store or something. You can buy one new for $10 at a store, right? Like a toaster is like a really simple thing, right? Like it's, it's, just, it's just a heating element with a few mechanical parts, and you plug it in. But think about all the knowledge that you would need to acquire and, the, the, and just how realistic it is to think that you would be able to gain all of the mass, massive amounts of knowledge about like where to look for copper in the ground. Like, do you know anything about mining? I don't know anything about mining. I'm not sure I know anyone who does know anything about mining. Like that's a whole that's a whole thing just to have the raw materials in order to have the metal that we would need to build a toaster from scratch, to be able to smelt the metal and to purify it in order to get it into workable material then to know enough about electricity and how electricity works and how circuits are built, imagine trying to discover all of that on your own and what would be involved in that process of learning to be the person who discovers how electricity works. I mean, we're talking about thousands of years of science that it took humanity to understand how electricity works. And then forget that and just like, let's just talk about the mechanical components of making a toaster. Or, or even fashioning the metal into the right shape so that you can make a toaster. I mean, it's an impossible task for one person to do. We rely on the information that has come before us and the expertise of a lot of people to do something even as simple as making a toaster. And so if you think about that, that might reframe some of how we think about what we know and why we know it and who is trustworthy and actually how often we practice faith in just taking certain things for granted about how the world works, even in the realms of science and technology. Okay, so there's some profound thoughts to think about and stir over. But I want to talk more about this idea of how God's authority flows through us because we... we are trying to build our life on this idea that God loves us and is in relationship with us and wants to work in us and through us to bless the rest of the world. I think that's what we're here to do. And to understand how that authority, how that kingdom advances, how God's reign and rule and influence advances through the earth, well, it, it advances and it flows through our obedience. God's authority is expressed through our obedience, through our willful choosing to listen to him and to do what he says. And I want to acknowledge that that can be tricky, like we see through a glass dimly, right? The kingdom of God is both now and not yet, and so there's, there's a lot of interference. There are other voices. There's the news. There's our parents. There's our own self-concept. There's demons. There's all kinds of stuff that can make that tricky about hearing God's voice, but we do believe that this is actually doable, and we have some really good tools to help us do this. We have the scriptures, and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, and we have a community of people who love each other 
and can help us see it when it's difficult for us to see. And so with those tools, we want to become the kind of people who do what the Father is doing. In John 5, 19, this is kind of a key verse for the Vineyard Movement. Uh, and this is kind of a paradigm that we'll talk more about in the prayer training on Thursday. But when we pray for somebody, or when we try to do healing, or when we try to uh, welcome God's kingdom on earth, as it is in heaven, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and as he taught them to go out and enact and do the things that he was doing, we do that through this paradigm, that the son can do nothing in himself, he can only do what he sees the father doing. We want to be people who do what we see the father doing. And so what is the father doing? Well, the father is doing what he's always done. The father is restoring and redeeming all of creation from the consequences of sin and death. This began in the garden when God said to the snake, I will put enmity between the woman's offspring and yours, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. God had a plan even at the beginning, even at the time of the fall, when everything fell apart, God had a plan that he started enacting immediately to restore and redeem all of creation from the fallenness of sin and death. And so Jesus is always at the, doing the work of bringing us from a place of unhealth to a place of healing, of bringing us from a place of isolation to a place of community, of bringing the world from a place of injustice to a place of justice, where people are seen and heard and loved and treated equally before the law and in relationship with one another. He is destroying the dividing wall of hostility, bringing people who hate each other back together and undoing the curse of Babel and bringing creation to its final purpose, which is to love and worship God and to enjoy him forever. That's what God is doing at any given time. And it is through our connection with that, it is, it is with our connection with the things that he is doing and with his voice that we are able to hear and obey. And that is how his authority gets expressed in the church and through the church to the world. But it's important to understand that God's purpose is to heal, serve, and save. And so, finally, I just want to say this. Well, here's the thing, right? You know, I think a lot of times, and we will talk about this in terms of, of healing and supernatural wonders and power and all that good stuff. I, that's all good stuff. I'm not saying we're not doing that. That's good. And we want that. We want the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that where we run into people who need to experience freedom and liberation and healing that we have something to give them because we ourselves have received it from God. We want that very much. But I think that sometimes our discussion can start in the wrong place because we bring a worldly view of authority into the discussion and we're kind of thinking about it in terms of power. We're thinking about it in terms of force. But that's not, that's not the place that God comes from. God comes to uh, expressions of his authority and his influence from a place of trust, from a place of willful consent, from a place of, of, of safety, and from a place of love. And so when we say that we 
are, are bringing God's authority into a situation and speaking with God's authority into a situation. We're speaking with God's authority to heal and to serve and to save. Mother Teresa challenged people who want to change the world to do this. Mother Teresa said this. She said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Because Mother Teresa knows that in, in helping uh, people who are homeless and in helping people who are sick and in helping people who don't have a support network to uh, help them and being as the church the support network to the sick and the dying in her situation in a rural village in India, uh, that uh, being obedient to God in small things and being a family to one another uh, that that does actually change the world, that that takes care of people, that that makes space for people to grow, that creates a sense of safety where people who are in crisis can have the room to go through that crisis and come out of it. And so if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. It's not always power and healing and dramatic stories. It's not always move to move to some remote part of the world where no Christian has ever gone. It's not always a dramatic uh, mountaintop adventure. It's not always this thing that is so ramped up in its risk and its faith and its, um, you know, just awesomeness, right? A lot of times what it means to walk out God's will in our life is obedience in the small things. Go home and love family. Take care of the people who God has put in your life to have primary relationship with, who God has entrusted to your care and to, uh, to your ability to teach and to love and to serve. Go home and love your family. That is often the way that God's authority flows through our obedience. Finally, uh, just this idea that God gives our gives us authority to heal, to serve, and to save. Uh, I just want to contrast this with worldly uh, senses of authority, and we can only understand these words that Jesus is saying in this passage, maybe through another passage where he really kind of hits the nail on the head, when the disciples are kind of arguing with each other about who's the best, or who, who's the most in charge, or who should be the leader of the group. James and John are kind of vying for their ability to be in charge of the group, and, uh, and kind of bickering and fighting and, and, the, and the whole little crew that is working and, and uh, traveling and being with Jesus, being his disciples, being his kind of uh, representatives and his entourage that follows him around while he's doing his work on earth, uh, Jesus corrects them and says that the, the power of God is not to be used to call down fire on some poor town that was disobedient to God, the power of God and the authority of God is used to heal and to serve and to save, not to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the other guy's game. God's kingdom is here to heal, to serve, and to save. And so Jesus says this in Mark 10. He says this. He says, Jesus called the disciples, that's them, he calls the disciples together, and he said, you know about those who are rulers of the nation." They hold power over their people. Their high officials order them around. Don't be like that. Instead, anyone who wants to be important among you must be your servant. And anyone who wants to be first must be the slave of everyone. 
Even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Instead, he came to serve others. He came to give his life as the price for setting many people free. And I'll just say this. You know, I, I think that a lot of people, when they come into the church or come into a community, maybe it's less of an issue in a smaller community like this, but a lot of people come into a community of faith and they think, you know, how do I get to be a person of influence? How do I get to be a person who, you know, is calling the shots and who, you know, there's, I think it's natural. I think it's a part of every person. I think every person wants to have influence and significance in their life. And so we're, we can look for that significance in weird places. And one of the places that we look for it is, uh, you know, how do I get influence in an organization? And sometimes that organization happens to be the church. And so people come in with ideas of, of, you know, okay, well, the, the leaders, those must be the important people. Or the leaders, those must be the people that, that get to call the shots or have the power in any given situation. Now, I would say that in this church, uh, we largely just don't deal with that. Like, we have a really healthy uh, view of community. We have a really healthy, I think, view of leadership for the most part that, um, that you know, people, people come to serve. People come to give their life in service to one another. But you'll know... Uh, as if you try to start serving in a community, if you try to start showing up for one another, uh, that it's work, right? That it is hard, that it is a sacrifice, that it does cost something. And Jesus says that if you want to be the best, if you want to be the most, if you want to be the, the person who's, who's, in, who's really calling the shots, well, then you're going to have to you're going to have to bear the most cost. You're going to have to serve. You're going to have to be a slave to everyone. You're going to have to hold everyone's interests in your mind and in your heart when you make your decisions. And you're going to have to think about how do you build up others rather than yourself. And it is exactly the opposite way that power works in the world. So often, what, the way that power and authority work outside of God's kingdom is, you know, we're seeing who we can get to do what we want them to do. And in God's kingdom, it works exactly the opposite way. Leadership is service, and service is leadership. And it turns that power dynamic completely on its head and actually works exactly the opposite way. And that's what we experience whenever we're in this vulnerable, crazy, risky place of praying for one another. When we pray for each other, we experience the powerlessness of that, of that exercise. We're asking God to do things that only God can do and that we know that we do not have the power to do. When I'm asking God to heal somebody, I'm really quick to figure out that I am not like magic healing hands man. Right? Like, I, it is not me. Like, I know that as soon as I say the words out loud, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to look like an idiot. I feel so insecure. <laughs> it feels so crazy and embarrassing. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, just all this stress that comes when we pray for healing. But that's trusting that God is going to do something. That's what faith is. And there have been times in the church, and there's been a theology in the church that tries to lay blame when something that we asked for, or something that we hoped, or something that we believed would happen doesn't happen. We've tried to explain away that tension of the kingdom by saying, well, it all comes down to faith. If you just had more faith, 
then it would have happened. And so it was either a lack of faith in the person who prayed or a lack of faith in the person who received prayer. And the truth is, is it's just not that clear-cut as all of that. And so in order to say that to someone is actually incredibly discouraging and, um, and just kind of mean in a way that can be really hurtful to people who are actually engaged in the trusting activity, who are actually engaged in the exercise of that faith, who are trying to learn how to do healing. And so we as a community want to pe- be a people who are trying to learn how to hear God's voice and how to do healing, and not just with each other, but also when we're at the pool, or we're at the lake, or we're at the family reunion, or we're at our job, in places where it might not go so well, where we might get some pushback from authority figures about uh, what we were doing, right? The way that Jesus kind of got in trouble for healing somebody. That might happen to us if we walk this path. And so it's important for us to understand how authorities really work and how, what it means to trust God and to step out in that faith and to walk in that and to have a humble attitude and to understand that God can and will be at work through us even if we are powerless to make it happen, to try to force something to take place. God works through trust, and so we continue to trust him even if it costs us something, even if it costs us some credibility, even if it costs us some comfort, even if it costs us our very lives. The call of God is to follow him wherever he would lead and to trust him to be in charge. And that is what we are about to practice right now. Would you stand? And so now is the time that we take to pray for one another. And I would just want to um, invite the Holy Spirit and uh, I think most people kind of understand how this works, but um, the idea is if you want prayer, you just come step up, step forward. You might want to put on a mask just as you come up, just so that uh, whoever's praying for you feels comfortable. And, and so you feel, and if you guys are both vaccinated, you can just say, hey, look, we're both vaccinated. Fine, take the mask off. Cool. All right, so just talk to each other, communicate about that stuff. But uh, what, what we're hoping is going to happen is that God's going to kind of start drawing some people in their hearts, and, uh, and you're going to want to respond to God. And so you just come forward. And then somebody who's kind of been through a prayer workshop or two uh, will just come up and kind of put their hand on your shoulder and just say, hey, can I, how can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And you guys talk about whatever it is that you want God to do. But um, I believe that God wants to heal some hearts this morning. Maybe some of us have, uh, have some trust issues with authority and, and trusting God um, that we might need to work out. And so if that applies, uh, just invite you to come forward. Uh, maybe some people are just kind of really struggling with faith for healing. Like, man, prayed about this, didn't happen. Asked God for this, that didn't happen. And you're struggling. You're, you're, you're in that tension of the kingdom being now and not yet, the time that has come and is still coming. Like, uh, and, and you just need some, some help in that. Like, God wants to meet you there. Uh, and I, I just say, come and get prayer. Or if you're having a great day and you just want God to bless you, hey, come get prayer. Like, there's, there's, these are just a couple things that might kind of Get us, get, get, get us going if we're really on the edge of should I get prayer or not. But um, like if you just want prayer, just come forward and someone will pray for you and we'll see God's kingdom come, okay? All right, so let's worship.